Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. If you're new to the show, welcome to the party and you're in good hands with 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering Houston sports. And Sean, I feel like you're going to have to repeat yourself because I know you've been working the radio four hours a week most days this week, right? Yeah. Hey, but, uh, you know, I'll never complain about uh, an opportunity for second takes. And uh, my second take might be better than my first one as I kind of digest a lot of what's happened just over the course of the last uh, 24, 48 hours in the world of sports. All right, well, let's do it. And uh, J.J. Watt announced his retirement Tuesday. That was the big story. And I've covered Houston sports for 20 years, high school to the pros. You and I have lived through a golden era of Hall of Famers. But there is no athlete I was more excited to watch on a regular basis than J.J. Not Altuve, not Biggio, not James Harden, Verlander, Correa, McGrady, New Hopkins, Jordan, Roger Clemens. The list is long. Nobody more, though, than Justin James Watt, Sean. J.J. was absolutely special. Um, and to be honest with you, uh, most people didn't realize he would even be a very good player. Most people didn't uh, had never heard of him uh, pre-2011 whenever the Texans took him you know, number 11 overall. And I have no shame in saying that I was one of those people, was not following Wisconsin football in 2011 uh, and, and before. Um, I was not also one of those people that booed the pick. I was more, all right, well, who is this cat? Let me research. Damn, he looks like a pretty good football player. Let's go. I know most people wanted the Texans to go Nick Fairley, and that was obviously the Cam Newton draft. And um, there were some other really good DNs that were drafted in 2011 as well. I believe Cam Hayward, and I forgot who was actually taking seventh overall, another really good defensive end. Um, you could make the argument now, looking back, hey, JJ should have been number one overall. But, you know, my favorite story uh, in looking back at the birth of JJ Watt here in the city of Houston was in July of 2011, uh, just a couple of months after he was taken in the April draft. When he came into town, his introduction into Houston was learning about the Barry kids and the tragedy that ensued uh, in July that month. It was actually July 2nd, where uh, the parents were killed in a car accident coming back from a family vacation they'd taken in, taken in Colorado. Uh, J.J. learned about that, and I don't know if he informed the Texans about it or if the Texans informed him about it. I know Jamie Roots. Um, you know, may he rest in peace. We just lost him uh, a few months back. Um, maybe he informed JJ of this, but JJ took it upon himself and did everything he possibly could for that family to endear himself, which was probably the last thing, the furthest thing from his mind to the community. But just it came naturally. Here I am on this platform and I've got this opportunity and there's this family in need. What can I do to help? That was just in his nature, his father being a fireman and just the way that he was raised. Um, you know, with, with such a great family, he told that story. Um, we had him in studio, myself and Barry Warner one night. And it had to be like mid to late July because he had just come into town and was preparing to go to training camp and maybe even OTA or something like at that point in time. Um, but he told that story and we really got a chance to know him. He was supposed to be in studio for 15 minutes. He ended up staying an hour. 
And when myself or Barry, and I think it was Barry asking the question about, man, getting booed on draft night, you know, what was that like? You know, what's your reaction to that? The whole night, mind you, he sat back in this very studio that I'm in, in his chair. And when he was asked that question, he sat up, put both elbows on the table and just rolled. We let him go for probably a minute and a half, two minutes straight. And the I'm going to put this in a nutshell. I wish I could have the audio and remember the quotes exactly. I just remember my reaction. My jaw was on the floor. I didn't know who the hell this guy was. But he, the message was, I'm going to do everything in my power to endear myself to the fans, to work hard for the fans, to earn the right to have been the number 11 overall pick in this draft and give everything I have to the McNair family and this organization. And, you know, by my career's end, those boos will hopefully turn into cheers. And that is going to be, you know, what, what I work for, what I strive for. And I'd never heard anybody talk like that and take that to heart the way that he did. And when he left the studio, I, I just turned to Barry and I said, this dude's going to be freaking awesome. He's special. And from that moment on, I'd followed everything that J.J. Watt did and obviously privileged enough to have the opportunity to cover him for so many years while he was here in Houston. And uh, I, I asked this question. I want to ask you this question. How would we be talking about J.J. Watt's retirement if, in fact, he would have done it still here right now yesterday as a Houston Texan? I think we would still care a whole lot. I think we were talking about it a whole lot. I'm, I, say, I, I should say I, I think we would care just as much because I think, you know, that that is the topic everywhere in the NFL, in Houston. You know, it's just he he was just such a special. You talk about the Barry family. I, I can speak so much to that because the mother that died in the car accident, I went to elementary school with her. Same grade. It's wow. It's a small Jewish community in Houston. I had lost track of her. But let me just tell you, that impact in the Jewish community and not just what he did initially, it didn't stop. He stayed best friends with the Barry's ki kids that were yes. had, had survived all of that. I mean, there yes. was a relationship. It was written about two and three years and four and five years later that they were still in touch and that this was still something important. They were legitimate friends. And, and that was, you know, that was JJ in a nutshell. You know, Sean, I, I got to talk about, you know, just him as the player for a second, though, because, you know, in my lifetime, I've been lucky enough to watch Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White, lots of them. Nationally, they're considered the two best defensive players of all time. Definitely the two greatest pass rushers. Nobody can tell me, though, that prime J.J. Watt was worse than either of those guys. Maybe the same, maybe better when he was in his prime, but not worse than those two guys. And unfortunately, stats like tackle for loss or QB hits, they're not available for Reggie and LT, Sean. But Watt had a four-year stretch before the injuries where he averaged 47 and a half quarterback hits, 79 tackles. This is in a season, 79 tackles, 62 and a half solo tackles, 30 tackles for loss. Reggie and LD, LT, they didn't have the line, not quite the line, the ability to line up and catch touchdowns the way JJ did, or they didn't get the opportunity anyway. But just remember in one season, he had three targets three receptions with those three targets and three touchdowns. And Sean, I think he should be in the category of a Gale Sayers when you look at his first five years before the injury of what he was as a mythic figure because that is what we're talking about. This is all-time legendary. Tell your grandkids about, like, I got to yeah. see J.J. Watt. 
just from a statistical standpoint too, um, you know, you talking about that uh, dominant four-year stretch and even really his rookie season busting onto the scene, um, you know, in the playoffs against the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, with the uh, pick six, you know, who'd ever seen a defensive lineman intercept a pass like that um, and return it for a touchdown? It was just incredible. That's when he really emerged on the scene. Everything you say is absolutely spot on. Um, in terms of being a, a generational type talent and figure, um, one of the most important Houston sports figures in this city's history, um, but certainly in, in respect to his own sport, the NFL, I mean, how many guys did it better? How many guys were as versatile as J.J. Watt? The contributions, obviously, uh, you know, for his team on the defensive line. What about the pass deflections? You know, he was the first guy in my lifetime and in my coherent, you know, football watching life that I can remember that affected the game the way that he did, literally taking an avenue away from a quarterback. If JJ's lined up on the right side of you, you're not looking there for your in your first progression. You're trying to find a way to pick a ball around him, above him. It wasn't going to happen. You've got to move outside of the pocket. It changes the strategy of what an offense was able and was not able to do against J.J. Watt. And not even just that. You know, we were talking earlier about J.J.'s comments, you know, a, a number of years ago about how he was like, man, you know, I should have gotten 100 sacks, you know, way before uh, I did. And I think he got it in like 2019 or something like that. Hell, he had 69 or 69 and a half sacks during a four-year stretch. You want to go back, I think it was 75 sacks in his first five years yeah, he probably should have eclipsed 100 sacks maybe in 2018 or 17, um, which was very realistic. You could pencil him in for two or three sacks a game, it seemed like, during his stretch when he was getting 20 a year, 17 and a half, you know, whatever it was. And the statistical anomaly that he became, not just from sacks, but pressures and hits and deflections, never mind catching touchdown passes once upon a time ago, lining up as an extra tight end and you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Everybody in the stadium knew it was coming. Hell, even the defense knew it was coming, and you couldn't stop it. And that that's what I'll kind of remember about J.J. Watt is just his versatility, and it was his attitude. He knew what he was going to do, when he was going to do it, how he was going to do it, and you can't stop him. How many players can you think of in the NFL where you watch them Instead of the quarterback or where the ball is, you watch J.J. Watt when the ball was snapped, not when he made a play. You watch the snap of the ball from J.J. forward if you were a Texan fan. In fact, if you were an NFL fan. Uh, absolutely. Uh, he changed. He not only changed the way that, you know, as I said, you know, the game was kind of played, prepared for. He was a guy you prepared to play against if you're an offense but he changed the way that you watch the game. You're absolutely right. You know, how many times <laughs> I only know one guy that can still to this day watch an NFL or a college game and look at the line play. You know, I want to follow the ball. I'm looking at the quarterback, the receivers, you know, those guys. No, J.J. was on the field. You found out the spot where he was and you looked at him. And I think that really helped us, you know, better appreciate um, not just his game, but the game at the line of scrimmage. Because it opened up, 
your eyes opened up. You understood a little bit more about what was going on and what it took to be successful at some other positions and in an offense, but particularly a defense. And so that's one of my biggest takeaways and having watched J.J. Watt and not just him, but, you know, the guys that have come even after him, you just watch the game differently now. And, and I appreciate that, him. I appreciate him for that. Let's go back to him off the field because it's a whole other category, the stories, et cetera, et cetera. And just to talk a little bit more about that, listen to this throwback Houston Sports Talk interview that I did with Carlos Correa during his rookie season when I asked him specifically about J.J. Houston, uh, J.J. Watt's been become quite a big deal. Do you follow everything that's going on with him? And is he somebody that you can kind of look to as to how – you know, you want to develop that relationship with the fans and the community here? Yeah, of course. J.J. Watt is, you know, uh, he's the guy here in, in Houston. You know, he's he's obviously a great athlete, but he's a great person as well. When I got called off, he, he shoot me a text. And, you know, really, I was really thrilled by that. It's, it's you know, uh, the, one of the best players in NFL texting you when you get called up to a big league and you're just a rookie and you haven't had one at bat at the big league level yet. So uh, I really meant a lot and, you know, obviously a great guy. Stay in touch with him, and you know, hopefully we'll meet one day, and we'll be able to do great things for the city of Houston. Oh man, what, what a deal! He texts Correa when he gets called up, and Correa, you talk about making a mark. Correa saying there, yeah, he made his mark in Houston. And Sean, if somebody wrote a book 15 years ago about the perfect Houston athlete off the field, and they wrote down what J.J. Watt would eventually do—the Hurricane Harvey stuff. But it, there's like a, a thousand stories out there. Nobody would believe it. Nobody. They'd say only in fiction, only in fiction. Yeah. And, and not even just doing it off the field, everything that he's done. And, you know, kind of going back, you know, the, the Barry kids and what he did to help that family was really the impetus for the J.J. Watt Foundation, the impetus for everything that he ended up doing in the community, the millions upon millions of dollars, I think 40 plus million dollars ended up being raised uh, you know, uh, for, for the tragic events of uh, Hurricane Harvey and the countless amount of money um, that he's given to, to, to middle schools, to high schools, to, to educational programs around the city and the area uh, since then. And it still continues to do just that. Did it all while he was playing, while he was grinding, while, it, while he was trying to figure out how to be the very best, the most impactful for uh, his team. Uh, to help them carry to the next level. You know, we can talk about a lot of great Houston athletes, Robert, that that are that are doing these things after their playing days, you know, years, decades after their playing days. You know, Warren Moon, Andre Ware are just a couple that come to my mind. Vince Young uh, comes to mind, uh, how active they are in the community. And there's countless others. But to be able to just devote yourself and so much time during the peak years of your career and just taking on those responsibilities so early on when you're just trying to make a mark on your team, never mind the league in a position and become such an icon as he did, that, that's, that's incredibly impressive. And it takes a special, special kind of person to be able to not become overwhelmed with, with all of those things, to compartmentalize that. And then, too, you couple the fact with, Everything that he was doing from a charitable and a community standpoint, undergoing, you know, shoulder issues, pectoral issues, back issues, you know, the multiple injuries that uh, he incurred and suffered through during his career, to just even this season, you know, having AFib 
and having that be a, a scare, maybe more of a scare to, you know, the fans around the NFL and fans of his and maybe himself who just kind of downplayed it like, yeah, I kind of had my heart shot back in their place. Um, really stepping back and, you know, taking into account like a wife and a kid and everything that I've done in the years and all of this is much bigger than a Super Bowl. Yeah, I would have liked to have had that. Yeah, we would have liked to have seen him voice the trophy one day, but he's had an incredible career on and off the field. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun here in the coming days and weeks and uh, really months until opening day next year when the Houston Texans unveil his name as the third member of their ring of honor, which I think they should probably be printing that sheet right now <laughs> over at NRG. I know I would be, but that we're going to have a lot of fun recounting all the great memories and uh, things that J.J. Watt gave us over the years. Yeah, you, you want to talk about this this idea that he was so busy doing <clears throat> things when he wasn't playing. And, and to me, that's a key. The energy that he put into off-the-field stuff was equal to what he was doing on the field. It was like they were working with each other. You would see him never stop during a play. He never quit. And it seemed like off the field, same way, never stopped, never quit. And it, it, this is, we, we got to talk about him so much because of what his entire impact was. And, and I just think of the big figures in Houston sports, Earl Campbell, Nolan Ryan, Akeem Olajuwon, Craig Biggio, like you go down some of the big figures in Houston sports, they're not compelling to listen to. But, Sean, you would go to a press conference. You would hear him talking to fans, talking to media, nationally, local. He was always interesting to listen to. Like every word, you could read back the transcript sometimes. And I, you, you do this in radio. You read back the transcripts and you're like, eh, he didn't say anything that all that interesting. Maybe this time. But when you listen to him, it was interesting. He made it sound interesting. That's that's you're absolutely right. And it was it was the the charismatic way that, you know, he was able to kind of communicate with people, uh, you know, just going back to the story of me having him in studio uh, for the first time. You know, I didn't know who he was up until the draft. And, you know, a couple months months went by and sure you studied up and you know who he is uh, on the on a football field. But to listen to a guy, um, even at that point in time, just the desire and the, the goal that he had to ingratiate himself to his organization that took a chance on him at number 11 overall when, you know, nobody else, you know, kind of knew who he was or, you know, gave any shot to or didn't think he was going to live up to, to, to be worthy of a number 11 pick. I mean, uh, somebody you just you looked at is like, ah, they're taking a flyer on this guy. Maybe that's how, maybe that was the impetus. Maybe that's how it started. I don't know. But um, just listening to his, the care, the passion in his voice, um, you know, there's only so few guys. It is kind of a throwaway line, but, you know, you, you could, you could listen to him talk about watching paint dry and it would probably be interesting <laughs> uh, to, to a degree. And um, that's just it. You know, he's going to enter, what, uh, his age 33, 34 season next year. The guy has so much more to offer. Can you imagine, Robert? Can you imagine everything that he's done from the time that he'd come in the uh, National Football League, you know, put himself on the map? What he's done, never mind on the field. You know, we know all that stuff. You can look it up, profootballreference.com, and pull up some highlights. But just 
how he's become a household name and what he is as a person, who he's become, how he's matured and now as a, a husband and a father. Like this guy has so much, so much to give. Who's he going to give it to? I think his family here in the in the short term. But you know, when when he steps back and you know feels his body kind of get healthy and recover and still has that itch to to, to make an impact, is that going to be at the high school level as a coach? Is that going to be as a uh, you know, an entrepreneur in, in, in more charitable ventures for a community, maybe in Arizona, in which, you know, he's kind of settled down and he's got a beautiful house over there now. Like, hey, where's hey, that going to be? Hey, Sean, remember we, we were talking just a few years ago. <clears throat> is this guy going to be the next The Rock in, in cinema? How many defensive players in NFL history could walk into Saturday Night Live and host it? And yeah. that's what J.J. did. Yeah, and he killed it, right? You know, I, I remember, I remember, you know, the the week leading up, uh, you know, you hear that he's going to be on SNL, and you're like, man, this is going to be great. Like, please don't stink, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then you think, like, this guy doesn't do anything wrong. This guy doesn't fail at anything. And you know, whatever they have for him, they're going to make him shine. Uh, he's going to be as bright as a star, and he absolutely was. I mean, he has probably one of the more memorable skits. <laughs> Uh, you know, in, in SNL history for, you know, an athlete coming in and doing that. You think of Eli Manning, you think of Peyton Manning and, you know, some of the other great ones uh, that have come and, you know, been there, done that. But uh, yeah, who knows what his future entails? This is a guy literally with, uh, you know, I know he doesn't look at it this way, but for the lack of a better term, you know, he's got the the, the world in the palm of his hands. He can, uh, you know, create his, his, his own future, you know, to, to, to just the nth degree. And so I'm looking forward to whatever he does next. And if that's next year, if that's next month, uh, if it's in 10 years, it's going to be special. One of the things I was thinking about when I heard the news was, man, there are so many what ifs over the 10 years, over this last 10 years of Texans history. Yeah. What if J.J. Watt never got hurt in 2016? What if Arian Foster and Will Fuller didn't have soft tissue issues all the time? What if Easterby doesn't show up and DeAndre Hopkins isn't traded? What if Deshaun had stayed out of trouble? I mean, look at all the little what ifs in just the last decade. I mean, these are these are great players. J.J. Watt, Arian Foster, DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy. And, you know, um, it, those things are obviously fresh on the mind. You know, when you put yourself in that position, as I know you have, you just rattled it off, but you know, the Texans really could have had some very special teams, um, if not for injuries and, you know, that sort of thing, as you just mentioned with Andre Johnson, J.J. Watt, Arian Foster. And um, if just things would have happened differently or if certain things wouldn't have happened, um, DeAndre Hopkins, that trade seemed to be the impetus for the beginning of the end, as we kind of know it in this era of Houston Texans football and the state of this organization. And it was it was really discouraging. It was really um, upsetting, frustrating, maddening, um, depressing, if I didn't use that word already, to see how things were trending. And that J.J. Watt, who even prior to that, Robert, we had talked about for, you know, a number of years. And how many more years, you know, are the Texans going to waste in the Prime of J.J. Watt, one of the best that we've ever seen do it, and they're doing it as a Houston, he's doing it as a Houston Texan. Can't these guys just put it together? And it was just incredible that it hadn't, ma it hasn't mattered in the world of sports. I mean, you look at a defensive end; it's happened with quarterbacks' careers being squandered because of organizational stupidity. 
uh, or in various positions, it was just really upsetting to have literally one of the best to ever play the game, not just at his position, be here in the city of Houston and to sit back and realize, God never played an AFC championship game. As much as I love J.J. Watt, man, there was another guy in Houston that was super frustrating. And I want to address the latest rumors about <clears throat> James Harden in a second. But before I do, a quick reminder to subscribe and comment on YouTube. It's the best way to support the show. And look for our live Texans postgame show after the Texans-Jags on Sunday. It'll be our first show in the year 2023. You're, you're going to be out partying, right, Sean? Is that is that the deal, uh, New Year's Eve? <laughs> I will. Uh, I might go out, but my boy, who's almost three years old, is going to be coming with me, so it's not going to get too crazy. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm sitting at home watching a little TV and uh, trying to console him for his fear of fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother! Well, listen for our show. Watch for look for our show uh, New Year's Day. Look for all the live shows under the live tab on our YouTube page or you can always listen on your favorite podcast app. And Sean, this report on Harden, boy, put a little damper on Christmas for me. Not sure if Harden's campus putting this out there, but God, I hate this idea. I uh, I thought that report was so odd for, for a number of reasons, but particularly, I mean, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day is usually reserved for the NBA. You know, it's kind of the birth of their season from a viewership standpoint. From television, NFL season's winding down, and, you know, it's, there's enough games that have been played where it's kind of like you know what team you've got, um, you know what you're looking at, you know who's competing and who's going to be worth watching, and there's some primetime games on Christmas. It was the NFL's day, and I just thought it was weird. Wherever this report came from, if it's the Harden camp, if it's, uh, you know, his agent, if it's somebody else, you know, Harden was asked about it, obviously, he said, I don't know where the report came from. I don't know anything about it, whatever. Um, I just thought the timing of it was odd. The only explanation that I can figure, and the timing still boggles my mind, is that this came from the Harden camp, and it was kind of a wink and a nudge, maybe a shove, to Daryl Morey and the Philadelphia 76ers, as in like, hey, <clears throat> let's get the ball rolling here. You know, I've got one more year left on my contract with a player option, and uh, I'd like some more years. I'd like and it's no money. accident that probably everybody in Daryl Morey's family was probably watching, you know, James Harden on Christmas Day performing mm -hmm. on the court, you know, in front of a national yeah. audience. Yeah, no, 100%. But, you know, the, the timing odd, too, because all this does, I mean, if it came from the Harden camp, what does this do? It creates a distraction. Simple as that. This is a team that's playing really good basketball right now. James Harden. You know, he's not Harden of old, but, you know, he's playing some he's playing some really good ball. He's leading the league in assists and the relationship, you know, between him and Embiid, him and Doc Rivers. You know, look, maybe it's not great right now. Maybe it's a work in progress, but it's certainly trending in a heck of a lot better direction than things had with his previous destinations and even the impetus on his arrival in Philadelphia. I mean, what happened in Brooklyn wasn't his fault. I mean, it was the nutcase Kyrie Irving and that weird dynamic there in the front office you know, the coaching staff was an absolute mess and a disaster at the end of the day. But here he is in Philadelphia with a lot of familiar faces around in the familiar mindset and strategies and philosophies and the way to build a team and and, and how to structure an organization with Daryl Morey there. It's Rockets North, you know, some players up there, P.J. Tucker uh, especially. But just why would you want to create such a distraction for the team, for that front office, for the coaching staff? 
particularly Doc Rivers, who's going to have to answer questions. You know, maybe it's something that lasts a week, but it's James Harden, who's been one of the bigger stories in all of basketball here in recent years than James Harden. Outside of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, he's amongst the top. I don't understand why you would want to infiltrate unnecessary conversation into what should be a singular goal of reaching an NBA Finals and winning your first championship of your career. Uh, the only thing that comes to my mind is that is it. He wants more years. He wants more money, the commitment from the Sixers. And anything outside of that is just another blunder by James Harden. I've got to address Rockets fans because I see way too many of them who love the idea of James Harden coming back, and I don't understand it. It's nothing to do with how he left. This is not bitter pill for me about this. Number one, he doesn't play defense. Why do I want our young players around a vet who notoriously is terrible defensively? And let me just say, a Jalen Green, James Harden backcourt, can't be good defensively. It can't. You don't win championships without a top 10 defense. Look it up. It ain't happening. So that's one. Number two, Harden's going to be 34 next year. He's injured all the time. He's got tons of miles. Why commit big money and playing time to an aging, injured player when you're at least two or three years from competing at a high level with these young guys. Number three, Sean, he's terrible as an example of veteran leadership. When he was here, he made the team work on Harden time. He undermined things behind the scenes, plane travel, bus travel. He's got a long history of fallouts with his team's best players. When things get tough, he points fingers. Chris Paul, Dwight Howard, Kyrie Irving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Number four. Last point, he has a long history of shrinking and flat-out disappearing in the playoffs. Why, why, why do I want this here, Sean? You don't, you don't want it, you don't need it, and it won't happen. And to me, all, those are all valid points and fantastic points, but ones that I don't even think you need to get to. I mean, your, your fourth and final point was really it. I mean, why would you want that character in this locker room to create that sort of distraction? But if I'm Tillman Fertitta, if I'm Rafael Stone, um, and really if I'm Jabari Smith and Jalen Green, here's how I'm looking at it. We're young, we're athletic, and we've got a lot of potential. I don't want anybody coming in, particularly – James Harden, with all of the baggage that he brings, with all of the attention that he brings, you don't need somebody else to put these other young guys on a pedestal for you. They can do that on their own. Look at the numbers that, you know, Jabari Smith is already putting up. I mean, he's got some numbers where you wouldn't necessarily realize it because, you know, you're watching this team play. There are many other things to be frustrated about that can kind of blind you from the production that he's had. But the start through his first 35, 40 ball games of a career has only been something that from a statistical statistical standpoint that only a few other guys have been able to do. So there's that. I just don't think if you're Tillman Fertitta or Rafael Stone that you'd want to take anything away. And that's really what it's about. You don't want to take anything away from what you are already in the process of creating. Sure, you get questions about uh, your coaching staff. Sure, you still have many other roster decisions to make as you enter into the next phase of this rebuilding process. Hell, you even have legitimate questions and concerns maybe about your general manager. I don't need another distraction in somebody that we've already been there, done that with before. It's less, much less, as it should be, about 
you know, uh, what, what should be irreparable damage done by James Harden, who acted like an absolute child, a horrible teammate. Uh, at least that's how it looked and played out in the media. I don't want that in my life if I'm Tillman Fertitta, and I don't need it for my organization, which I'm trying to rebrand and build with these young guys who, you know what? As frustrated as you get, Robert, these guys are still hella fun to watch, and you can see a lot of potential. And so I'm more concerned with the Rockets devoting all of their energy into figuring out who the hell is the right guy to lead this young, talented, skillful roster. Is it gonna? It's certainly not going to be Paul, uh, Paul Silas, rest his soul, uh, Stephen Silas, uh, in this Rockets staff going forward. Yeah, and and I think a key thing that you have to think of in terms of these young guys, somebody's got to turn into the alpha, and it's hard to turn into the alpha when James Harden shows back up and is yes. the alpha. Good point. Absolutely good point, and and that's really the impetus for my argument. There, it was well said by you. Um, the Rockets don't need that in their lives. I, I still, I, I, where this report spawned from, no reasonable explanation for it other than one from the Harden camp alone to give a big nudge to Daryl Morey and the Philadelphia 76ers to re-up and give him more money and more years and a commitment uh, to winning a championship up there. I wish the Rockets organization would quietly sort of leak out that they're not interested, but I kind of understand why they want to keep that thing out there just because it maybe tells other players we're interested in a quicker than possible rebuild. But, you know, it's not James Harden, of course, but that that's one of the potential things out there. A couple other quick Rockets thoughts. Sean, I just want to hit on boom, boom, boom. Fans need to keep an eye on the Suns. Devin Booker out for a few weeks. They're the fifth seed right now. Jay Crowder refuses to play. He's on the block. They need points. Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon, he's available. Hey, over here. And then the second thing I've got, their three-point shooting, the Rockets' three-point shooting, it's one of the worst in the league. Their outlook changes when that changes. And there are four players taking most of the shots besides Eric Gordon from beyond the arc, Jalen, Jabari, Porter, and Kenyon Martin. Three of the four, with the exception being Kevin Kenyon Martin, they have the potential to improve. So that's got to get better. Last one, Shane Goon. Come on, Steven Silas. Take this guy out of jail. Play your best player more than 30 minutes per game. This is ridiculous. Why is he only playing, you know, 20 some odd minutes a game as a starter and the best player on the team? That's got to change. It's a struggle that he's had a number of times, you know, uh, with this roster, particularly this year. And that's one of the most frustrating frustrating things uh, about it for me is that just playing your best players at, at, at in, in instances of the game, um, you know, when, when, when it's high leverage. You know, they blew a game the other night in the fourth quarter within the first five minutes after doing everything they possibly could. And forgive me, I can't remember the opponent that it was. But they had a 95-91 lead uh, going into the fourth quarter, I believe, and they didn't have their best players. No Smith, no Green, no K- no KPJ, no Shingoon on the floor. And it was, you know, uh, Eric Gordon and everybody else and taking horrible shots, turnovers, not getting back in transition. And it's just stopping the bleeding. Go back to your starters, guys that were playing well together and that got you there. It's just the handling of the roster, managing a game that really bothered me about Silas. And uh, I just, I think he's dead man walking at this point in time. And it's going to be an interesting decision 
for Rafael Stone and really Tillman Fertitta going forward, the direction that they want to go in um, and when they decide to pull the trigger on that. As for Eric Gordon, hey, this is this is what we all envisioned, right? You know, he's getting so many minutes. You know, you're showcasing him. The guy can still play. The guy, And he's playing against, you know, some of these playoff opponents. Um, you know, what can he do against some of the better competition? Like, I want to see that, and I think the rest of the league sees that. He could still be a piece to help another contending team. I don't know what you get in return for him. I know you and I have had this conversation before. Kind of whatever you can get for him. Who cares? You Who know? cares? Yeah, we, it, I've talked about this with Frank in our shows. We don't care. Just get him off the roster. Exactly. It's time to move on from 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 Eric Gordon. It's a youth and, movement. And, and I'll, I'll just say this about Steven Silas. You talked about the rotations because I, I wanted to stick with that for a second. Because, look, the rotations have gotten a little bit better in the last week or two, I've noticed. And sometimes I wonder, is this Rafael Stone pulling the strings? Oh, we're, we're down where we want to be in the in the lottery or what? I don't know. It's just weird. Like, for him to be as incompetent as he's been rotation-wise this year, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, and, and and it's one of the things that I, I don't know, I, I just wonder about that sometimes. I'm glad you brought that up. In, I wouldn't be surprised. It's it's the exact same thought that I've had all season long with the Houston Texans. What would what would you call that? Like I've been calling it a systematic tank. You know. We talk about it all the time how Nick Casario, for instance, has his fingerprints, um, you know, all over, you know, management of the game personnel, um, you know, deciding, you know, what sort of strategy they want to go into a game. I think it was just completely obvious because as bad as you want to talk about a coaching staff being, it's been the mismanagement or misutilization of personnel that has been the most glaring, most obvious point for me that this is an absolute tank. No coaching staff could be so dumb as to not have their best player on a field and highest leverage situations late in games. And I wouldn't be surprised if, in fact, that Rafael Stone um, is emphasizing a little bit more of the same with Silas and this Rockets coaching staff and has his fingerprints all over some of those rotation decisions. I want to go – you talk about the Texans. I, I want to go back to them to finish the show off because – uh, you don't want to see James Harden back in Houston. You would love to see prime JJ Watt back in Houston, but the guy that we're looking forward to right now, the one that you want to see maybe is Bryce young. And I screwed up in our post game show and said, the Texans would have to win out to get the number one overall pick. I screwed up. I was wrong. Forgot about that early season tie with the Colts. They need to lose both games or hope the bears win one of their last two against the Vikes and lions, both playing pretty well. And Sean, they have six picks in the top four rounds. You'd hate to blow some of that draft capital that you have to move up one spot because you beat the Colts or the Jacks late in the season. Yeah, and who says you could even do that if if you lose complete control of your own destiny and win one of these games and you don't have control of that number one overall pick? If it's the Bears, who says they even make a deal for you? Certainly they'll try to squeeze you for everything uh, that they believe it's worth. But what's to stop another organization from, uh, you know, uh, risking more to get into that spot? The Bears still have to want to work with you. They could work with somebody else instead. It's so important to be able to control your own destiny. And I can't believe we're talking about we're even in position discussing the fact that the, the Texans are just one win away from completely blowing it. Obviously, you know, what you said is correct. The Bears 
you know, could still win a football game and the Texans be okay. But who says that they will? I don't know. I think it could happen, too, in regards to the Bears. They play the Vikings, I think, the last weekend of the season. The Vikings very well could be resting guys at that point in time. The Bears could pounce and win a game that way. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, that's the drama of the NFL. I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see. But I don't care how many picks the Texans have you know, within the first four rounds or the fact that they have two first round picks uh, already theirs and the Browns, they got to be able to control their own destiny. And who's, it's not that the bears would even take Bryce young, but they would move out of that pick. If they decide like, you know what, we got Justin Fields and maybe, maybe we want to trade down and accumulate more picks. You just don't know anything can happen in that particular situation. Control your own destiny, lose this game. I need to see Brandon cooks held out because of calf injury coming back and bite him. I need to see Davis mills being the guy, no Driscoll. I need to see Pep Hamilton revert back to the horse crap play calling, you know, that existed the first 13 weeks of the season I need to see all of these things that made the Texans abhorrent and unwatchable the last two weeks of the season, and I need that number one pick. Yeah, luckily Jacksonville's good. I'm worried more about the Colts game, but you talk about that first overall pick. We talked about it in the postgame show. Bears probably aren't interested in a quarterback, but there are eight or ten teams out there that are, mm-hmm. and you just cause a bidding war if yeah. just a few of those teams fall in love with Bryce Young. So just keep that in mind. And, and speaking of Bryce Young, you know, I got to go back to the, uh, the conversation that I had with the ringers, Mirren Fader, on Monday. If you didn't catch it, I want to play this little clip for you, Sean. And she wrote this extensive feature on Bryce Young. Go back and listen for everybody that hasn't had a chance to do so. She was fantastic. Just here's a couple of minutes from our conversation. When you're looking for a quarterback, you're always looking for the leadership that's unique. And one thing that struck me, in your story was how he was always working the room during mm-hmm. the film sessions at Alabama. Describe what you saw. Yeah, I mean, he he's very vocal. And I think sometimes it's hard for young players to be vocal. You know, you always hear, oh, so-and-so leads by example. But Bryce does both. He leads by example and he uses his voice. And he'll go around and say, oh, you could have done this. You could have done that. Go here, go there. And I think it's his attention to detail and the confidence that he has to literally stand up and go up to different people and sort of be very animated during these sessions Number one says a lot about the passion that he has, but number two, like I said, the maturity to be able to communicate that well. Sometimes it can come off wrong, you know, when you try to communicate something to a teammate or you point out a weakness, but they know that he's the first one in the gym and they know that he studies his own weaknesses more than anyone else. And so they respect him so much. And I think that's why when he says something, everyone is listening. You know, he he commands the respect of everyone in the room. And you said he just was, would walk up along campus and yeah. actually still like try to help people out as he was just walking random people or something like that. You know what? That was my favorite anecdote about reporting this story. Like he saw a young man that looked like he was having a bad day in high school and he just went up to him and was like, hey, keep your head up. It's going to be a good day. I mean, can you imagine like I I don't know what would ever prompt me to talk with a stranger unless they were in serious, dire need of help. And Bryce, just this compassionate soul was just like offered a few kind words and kept it moving. And I thought that so much encapsulates his personality, right? You know, the confidence, but also just the empathy. And that's what makes him such a good leader. And I think everyone I've talked to who's played with him, like they really like him as a person. 
they're friends with him. And I think it's, it's because of those nurturing, caring qualities that make him just a really good locker room guy. Sean, the tangibles are questioned with this guy, but man, and the more you hear about him, the intangibles, unquestioned, unquestioned. I think everything that, uh, you know, he has no control over um, really don't have a question. (laughs) Did I say that right? The only thing that he can't control, you know, is the question, his measurables, his size, his his weight. I guess he could control that to a certain degree. But at this point in time, his hand size is what it is. You know, whether he's 5'10", 5'11", or 5'9 he can't really do anything about that. But in terms of what he does on the field, a lot of it seems to be just kind of innate, come natural, whether it be the feel uh, in the pocket, his ability to manipulate uh, you know, himself in the pocket, just find that open receiver, continue and extend a, a play, a drive, uh, make the correct read, uh, go through progressions. Whatever you're talking about, the speed, all the God-gifted gifted talent you know, that he has, to me, all that's like – there are no questions. Trust your eyes. You've seen it. And just to kind of hear what he's like on a college campus and in a film room and in a locker room and outside of it, you know, approaching strangers that I was thinking about that whenever, whenever she said that in what man is a fantastic uh, interview and get by you, Robert, uh, everybody needs to go check that out at Houston sports talk, Robert, uh, and the Houston sports talk. So uh, just great job. I can't say enough about it, but when she said that, I immediately I'm just trying to think like about the psychology that uh, a person, you know, has to be has to have the makeup of a person, like not just the confidence that that's too simple of of a word, but just the the idea that you're so comfortable, content and and just, you know, what you're doing and where you're going and what your purpose is and that I can help somebody else. Or I can use, you know, maybe the idea that maybe this guy's a fan and he'll recognize me. And what way to better brighten somebody's day than for somebody that is recognizable uh, that might they deem it unapproachable? Go talk to a complete stranger and just try to help them out. A few simple words by a complete stranger can change your entire outlook. It's happened, you know, uh, to me. Um, just having a, any kind of boost of confidence. Can you imagine what that means to a number of men with like minds and a like goal in a football locker room that are going out there and prepare to do battle and try to win a game on any given Saturday or Sunday in the NFL, as he'll start doing here in a few uh, short months? That's, that's immeasurable stuff, uh, but it's exciting stuff. And only special people, you know, have that quality where they can reach and get what they need and what you need out of them. And it sounds like he is that guy. And I'm super excited to um, to see him play and perform at the next level. I just want to say something very quickly and succeed, as succinctly as I can about the Texans, the number one overall pick, Bryce Young and quarterbacks. Sean, I see people on Twitter. People that you and I know in the media and other fans say, oh, we don't think any of these quarterbacks in this class are any good. Don't draft the quarterback. Let's get one next year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let me just tell people out there 
that I've watched the NFL for my 51 years. And this NFL in particular of the last 20 years, if you don't have a quarterback that is consistently a top five or top 10 guy, you have no shot at the Super Bowl, period. You got to go back to the Trent Dilfers and Brad Johnson's and back to the early 2000s before you were winning a Super Bowl. But I'm talking about consistently competing and consistently being on the uh, with a chance at the Super Bowl. You need a quarterback. And you know what I do? If I'm an NFL general manager and I don't have one of those top 10 quarterbacks, I draft a quarterback every single year until I get the guy that I need because a quarterback is a hundred times the value of any other position on an NFL roster, Sean. That's my, that's my thing. You're not, I mean, you're not wrong. You're the line of, I mean, it's, you can't argue the fact, just go back and look at the Super Bowl teams <laughs> and who those quarterbacks are. You're right. I mean, there's a reason why there's a Trent Dilfer. There's a reason why there's a Brad Johnson and you're actually forgetting one, but you could count them on one hand. Really. You go back in the last 20, 30 years, see guys that have played the Super Bowl that weren't dudes. All right. And weren't the long-term solution for a team, a great or even very, very good quarterback uh, in the league. Yeah, you need one. But you also need the developer. And that's really the question, too, from a Houston Texans standpoint. And can you get that guy in? A lot of people are asking the question and talking about what sort of uh, job is this Houston Texans head coach, offensive coordinator position like really? How desirable is it? I think it should probably be one of the most desirable, if not the most desirable job in the entire league. And maybe that could change a little bit if you blow the opportunity to draft number one overall. But just the idea of being able to draft that guy, if it's Bryce Young, if it's C.J. Stroud, I think it's Bryce Young, to have the opportunity to, to get him the draft capital, the money to spend in free agency, and just to maybe undergo a complete rebrand on an organization that desperately needs it, that's been on life support for almost three years, really, um, with everything that has gone on. It's tremendously valuable. It's tremendously desirable. And you just have to make sure you get the right guy, the right staff, and you're trusting the right football people to help you make that decision. That comes down to Cal McNair's judgment and to whether or not he's going to allow Nick Casario and obviously his judgment to make that right call. Real quickly, forget about the rebrand. You know how you rebrand? You win. If Bryce Young comes in here and he sucks, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. He can be the nicest guy ever. It doesn't matter. Davis Mills, I'm sure, great guy. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. He's the one of the, you know, and yeah, maybe a nice guy, but I'm sorry. The guy's a giant popcorn fart. Uh, I don't get excited about anything that he says. I don't care about, you know, you can't tell when times are good, when times are bad. Obviously, it's easier to say that because more times than not, times have been bad. And it's just a big funk and a big cloud around that organization right now. But he doesn't inspire me. You know, I don't get excited. I don't hang on anything that he says. Um, you know, we're talking about a 21, 22 year old kid, you know, and Bryce Young, Bryce Younger, I think he's 20, right? Uh, we're talking about this kid, you know, that my God, you know, he's doing things that you don't, you don't 
see guys doing unless they're you know seasoned NFL guys. Would say he's maybe in a, NIL has a little bit to do with this. He's taking his offensive line out, you know, for dinners and building camaraderie there. He knows how to handle the media, the way that he talks, the way that he acts. Um, just the other day, you know, him talking about playing in the uh, the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State. Him and Will Anderson going to play. Everybody on that Alabama team is going to play. Nobody's going to set out. And the reasoning behind it, just to hear him describe that, tells me he's got a good head on his shoulders. It didn't sound prepared. It didn't sound read off of a, a piece of paper or a teleprompter or anything. It just sounded natural. It sounded like a guy who's speaking from the heart that's seizing the moment and wants to take each moment for what it's worth and realize that, you know what, it's the only opportunity I'm ever going to have to play in a Sugar Bowl. This is the last opportunity that I'm going to have to play with my dudes that I've been on a football field with for the last three years. And this is the last opportunity that I'm going to have to play a college football game before my life changes forever. I'm not content with my last game being three, four weeks ago. I want my last game to be something that I look forward to and am prepared for. And I love the head on a guy's shoulders like that. And that, that makes me excited about somebody. Like, I want to see. I want the opportunity to see if, in fact, he's not a good NFL quarterback in Houston. I don't want to see it anywhere else. I want to see it in Houston. Yeah, I just to go back on the, the Brad Johnsons and Trent Dilfers, even you can say the Peyton Manning Super Bowl where he was kind of garbage, but the Broncos still won. If you want to cite those, it's – I'm talking about success over a long period of time and not having to build a perfect team and make no mistakes anywhere else if you do not have the right quarterback because a quarterback is like the spell check in your word processor. It corrects a lot of mistakes that your general manager can make. And it corrects guys getting injured in other positions. They just lift everything up. As we know, this should be no news to anybody that watches the NFL football. And I just want to say for Rockets fans, going back to that conversation I had with Miran Fader, you want to listen to that if you're a Rockets fan, because go about 16 or 17 minutes into it. If you don't care about Bryce Young, in the last four years, she wrote in-depth features on Jabari Smith, Jalen Green, and Jay Sean Tate, three Rockets players. And we talk about all of that, a little insight into those guys. And keep in mind, when she wrote about Jalen Green, he was 16 years old. So we talk about 16-year-old Jalen Green and what's happened with him. So uh, go check that out. Uh, you got to listen to Sean this week. He's on all the time on Sports Radio 6. Can, can you give me some some of your schedule in the next few days, Sean? <laughs> I've got the same schedule on uh, Thursday and Friday as I had today. I'll be in the loop from 10 until 2. It'll be uh, myself uh, and Brandon Scott, who is our uh, website guy. Um, he does a tremendous job. He kind of drove the show today, so I'll be – uh, behind the steering wheel tomorrow, and we'll just have some fun, man. Uh, spent a lot of time today talking about uh, uh, something that you and I spent quite a bit of time about, J.J. Watt, just the impact that he's had on the city of Houston, the Texans organization and stuff like that. So uh, as crazy as the world of sports has been just the last 48 hours, I'm kind of anxious to go and check Twitter and you know digest everything that's uh, even happened today and a lot of the uh, injury reports, which are key, uh, coming out today. Uh, here in just a few short minutes for the Texans and Jags is what I'm most interested in seeing and how important this game is for Jacksonville. Did they care about it in week 17? That's what I'm kind of interested in digesting here in the next uh, few minutes. Yeah. By the way, of course, we talked a lot about JJ. He's <clears throat> behind me. He's not behind me because we're talking about JJ. He's always behind me because 
JJ Watt is such a fixture and such a, you know, such a huge name in this city. Like I need to tell any of you guys, you're, you guys know what I'm talking about, but uh, our next show, we're going to do the post game show on Sunday, unless something crazy happens between now and then that'll be our next show. And then early next week, we're going to have Frank from HDX or from rockets chop shop, HTM shop, chop shop. Some of you know him as, and he's going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the rockets. And as well, we'll, we'll get back to me and Sean in the middle of next week. So lots of good stuff coming up. We'll work on some new guests. We're going to continue to talk about the quarterback situation with the Texans because we know that's about the whole thing. The whole enchilada with the Texans is figuring out that. It'll do a lot going forward in this organization and where they are and what's going on. But I want to wish everybody, including Sean here, a happy new year. Next time we do this, Sean, it's 2023, brother. Let's do it, man. Have a happy new year, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great one. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.